and welcome back to another episode of the Real Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Jacob O'Connor. Real Conversations is a podcast for those dedicated to doing hard things and living a meaningful life. Today, I'm joined by Ryan Smith. Ryan, how are you doing? Doing great. Thanks for the time. Yeah. Thank you for uh, inviting me over here. Your office is beautiful, and I've not had the chance to explore downtown Orlando, so I'm glad I got out here. Yeah, I'm glad you came. You should stay around. Yeah, I'll yeah. check it out for sure. Um, so, Ryan, you have an interesting story, and it's not one that I, I've had a lot of guests on where it's kind of like you can see the sequence and the events in their life, like they become a professional athlete, or it's something that's like very public-facing. Whereas I feel like your road to success and things you've done have been a more unique and unconventional route. And so I would love to dive into first what you're doing now and then kind of where you think your story started off and how you got to here. Okay. So we own and operate mobile home parks and storage facilities in more than 20 states. And we have a a team that helps us do that. Mm -hmm. So mobile homes is, I would probably call it unsexy. (laughs) <laughs> that, that's that, what people think of when they think of me yeah. <laughs> on sexy. <laughs> oh man. So that's congruent. Yeah. How, yeah. how did you get there though? Like, yeah. Um, so it was kind of a, it, it's kind of one thing led to the next and it, it's interestingly enough, the next logical, um, step as presented by the circumstances of the time, then several iterations of that led to this, although it makes no sense, you know, <laughs> you know, which is the the nature of the question, Mm -hmm. but kind of working from where we are, you know, I'll I'll kind of jump back in time a little bit. So, um, and I'll kind of go sequential because you kind of have to, but, um, but my family was, my dad was in the real estate business, but not primarily. So he worked, he was a copier salesman for, um, um, oh gosh, I think it was Konica Minolta or something Mm -hmm. like that. So he sold uh, printers and copiers and to to build wealth for the family, we slept on the weekends, and um, he would buy rundown properties in rundown areas, and mm-hmm. we would we would help him fix it, so trench and scrape and all of those things. Um, and I loved to work. And so as I got older, um, and I'm talking about you know eight to ten years old, I started to learn to code. Uh, so I taught myself to code starting at eight. Um, saw a computer, had to know how it worked, and I can walk you through how I did that. It was kind of an interesting way I did that. But, but anyway, started <clears throat> to learn to code. I would write software for pretty much anybody I knew. Um, I'd go to a business and see a problem that software could address. And I'd, I'd go home, consider it a challenge, write a software application, put it on a desk, bring it to the business owner and say, this will fix this, that, and the other. So I saw my dad as an opportunity, uh, cause my dad was really bad at financial modeling, forecasting, um, kind of analytics. And so I ended up writing Spent a whole summer, almost four months, locked myself in the room. Um, he didn't know it. And I coded an application for him that allowed him to um, basically financially analyze and evaluate his investments without the need for me. <clears throat> I guess for me, I wanted uh, the opportunity to leave the house one day. So selfishly, <laughs> I was trying to code, code an out for myself. But So I, I coded this application um, and... So ended up getting about a hundred, you know, I, I showed him, he liked it. He showed a friend who liked it, a couple of friends who liked it. And I ended up having over many years, over a hundred thousand users of my software globally. Um, so how, I had, how old were you? Oh, it was a teenager. Um, <laughs> so I had, you know, then it got, it got really funny because in college I played baseball in college, got drafted by the Orioles and the angels, um, played baseball all the way through college. 
I'll never forget this one game I went to. I was pitching, and I had just shipped off a, an order of software. And I think the, I, I can't remember, but it was probably $100,000 worth of software that I invoiced um, for. And you know, I was just sitting there at the game, just having made $100,000 on an order. And I think my coach was making sixty to 70000 <laughs> at that time. It was just, it was, wasn't arrogant <clears throat> or like from that point of view, it was just, I was grateful. Like, it's just unbelievable. Was it a goal for you to try and make money since you said you didn't grow up necessarily having a lot of wealth or was that a byproduct of just your curiosity? I, I would say it's, it's been, a, it's never really been about the money per se. Um, it's, it's always been about the, you know, the curiosity. Um, and even with my kids, I've got four young kids, you know, they'll, I challenge them to do things and then they'll do it and they'll surprise themselves. And my, my refrain is always, I wonder what else you can do. And so it's, and that's kind of, kind of the way I looked at myself is like, I wonder what else I can do, mm -hmm. you know? And so, yeah, it's more just the curiosity. So there's a couple things that I know you're probably a quarter of the way through that sequence of that journey, but I want to, I want to hope <laughs> <laughs> I'm teasing makes for a good episode. <laughs> I, I want to stop along the way though and say, sure. you discovered at a young age, you love to work. And I'm curious about why that is and what that meant to you in your head. Yeah, no, I think, I think work is such an honorable thing. I don't think there's any, um, I don't think there's any kind of low work. Um, I think all work is, is God given. It's, you know, um, I'm a, a Christ follower and in the Bible before, you know, the, the biblical account in Genesis before sin entered the world, work was a commandment. So, you know, as a, as a believer, work is not a byproduct of a fallen world. It was actually part of a perfect world. Um, and so work is not a result of bad. It was designed for good. And so I, I think we are all <clears throat> made to work. I think we get a lot out of work. Um, and, and it wasn't that intellectual at a young age. I just really loved to work. Yeah. I, I just loved it. I was going to say, is that the conceptualization you had as a kid, or was that a realization later in life? Yeah, over my life, I've, I've realized that to be true. And, and some of that was probably taught by my, my, my parents. But, the, um, but no, I, I loved to work. I, I loved <clears throat> digging, carrying heavy things, <laughs> getting sweaty, looking at the finished product, seeing mm -hmm. the transformation. It was just, I don't know, I, you know. It was not only just the rental properties. My family owned Vietnamese restaurants. Don't whole nother story. <laughs> we also own pizza restaurants. So I mean, I, I was always yeah, you know, it was, I was always working somewhere, doing something. I loved it. For me, it's the feeling of progress. Like whenever I think about work, it's like seeing that I have made progress in one area. I'm slightly better than I was yesterday. Like that feeling to me is the best thing ever. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's I think that's right. But in, in for me, it's also <clears throat> I would say more external. Like I love the people. Like mm. I loved serving people. I loved. You know, like at the pizza restaurant, I loved doing the best I best job I could. You know, it, it, you know, it just it's such a, and you know, in the restaurant business, yep. it's such a, a real way to serve people in a meaningful way. So I, I always really liked doing my best for other people and giving them my best. So that was that was always there. Yeah, I love that. So you're in college. You're at almost what seems like a golden handcuffs crossroad where you've been <laughs> drafted by two MLB teams and you also just made a hundred thousand dollars in one day. What, what was going through your mind at this time? Yeah, no, it was, and nothing, <clears throat> nothing, um, you know, I would say it wasn't a, a necessarily a crossroads in that it was just more of a, a point of gratitude. Mm -hmm. You know, it was just surreal. sitting here playing a game as a 20 year old, you know, having just, you know, build a hundred thousand dollars for which I'd be paid for which my cost of goods was probably $500. <laughs> 
Um, and just looking around saying, okay, you know, my college coach who's, you know, we were a really good school. He's one of the best. And I think he made 60, 70,000 that year. So just being grateful for the opportunity that I, I felt like I had amongst my peers, amongst, you know, those older than me. Um, yeah, it was just, it was just, I was reflective in that, in that moment. Um, it just always stood out to me. Where'd you go from there? Yeah. So I ended up graduating from college. Um, I had an option and a choice to basically play baseball or, uh, pursue business. Um, it was kind of a brains versus brawn kind of crossroads. Yeah. And, um, I, I don't want to say I, I <clears throat> chose brains cause anybody who knows me who might listen to this would just fall out of their chair. <laughs> um, but, but I went the, I, I went the business path. <clears throat> so I had the software application that, you know, I, I had built, I was making pretty good money out, off of it. Um, and so Jamie and I, my wife and I, um, we were dating at the time, but we, I convinced her to not, not to go become a lawyer and to start a business with me. That's bold. <clears throat> it is. I always had this weird thing. I always wanted to build a business with my spouse. It's really strange. And she believed me and trusted me. And so we set off to kind of do that. And so we started buying single family houses right off the bat. We bought, you know, probably 30 or so homes, um, you know, long-term buy them, run them out. And we, f- we found pretty quickly a couple of things. One, and this isn't to belittle or denigrate our parents in any way, but we pretty quickly surpassed anything that they had done, um, which was encouraging, but it's also like, okay, who, who am I to learn from now? You know, cause it's, there's nobody mm-hmm. you know, that I knew ahead of us at that point. And so <clears throat> we found that the business wasn't that scalable. Um, you know, we thought, you know, you buy 20, 30 homes, margin really thickens and, and it really didn't happen. So we were wrong wasn't bad, but it wasn't as great as we thought. So we had to decide, okay, is it now a hundred homes? Is it 200 homes? Is it a thousand homes? Uh, or do we try something else? <clears throat> and so that's when we started, we spent a long weekend and we did an analysis of every asset class we could think of. <laughs> and <clears throat> it was pretty, you know, pretty, um, you know, um, pretty rational process, but we said, okay, we're looking for four things. We wanted Income, you know, cash flow, capital appreciation, tax benefits, and non-correlation. So if the market goes bananas, um, as your listeners either now or in the future will learn, markets don't go straight. No, um, They're all over the place all the time. <clears throat> and so we wanted a business that had a good chance of going up no matter what the market did. Um, and so that's where we, we spent a, a long weekend. We, we looked at apartments, mobile home parks, storage, billboards, office, you know, everything. And the two that were the most compelling were mobile home parks and storage. And it, it surprised us because we didn't go in with that right. you know, thought. Um, and so then we said, okay, well, mobile home parks was the most compelling one of the bunch. And so we started, we went out, didn't know anything about mobile home parks, didn't know anybody who owned mobile home parks. And we went out and bought our first mobile home park. So before we get into that, <clears throat> I want to take a second and think about this because as I mentioned before, this listeners are younger, they're about my age, right? Mm-hmm. And you said that, you and your wife realized you want to build a business together. You went out and you bought 30 different single family homes and it's like, okay, that's easy. Just go buy 30 homes. Right. How tactic, how did that, how did, how were you able to do that? Was that from the capital, from the software company that you had started, or I guess maybe something more practical for someone who's younger? Like, yeah, it was, I mean, it was, you know, money that we had saved. It was bank financing. We went to every basement seminar, (laughs) You know, some of them, most of them cheesy, but 
even the cheesy ones had practical things that I got from it. Mm -hmm. Um, but we went to all these basement seminars and learned everything we could. And there were some interesting strategies on, on how to buy property with you know, lower amounts down. And, um, and so we used some of those tactics and strategies in some cases, but, but yeah, and it was also not, it was over time. It was over several months, but, but yeah, no, it was, you know, we took what we had, we stretched it as far as we could go. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, the thing I would tell your listeners is, you know, you'll never have enough, you know, you, you never have enough to do all the things you want to do. So mm-hmm. you're always constrained. And so that, that if you're cre- creative and curious enough to figure it out one time, you'll always be constrained again and creative and curious. And it's, it's an iterative process. Did you have any fear of debt? I feel like a Midwest traditional value where I grew up in is, you know, you stay away from bank financing unless it's a mortgage on one house, your family home. And talking to Brian Estes, he seems pretty opposed to debt entirely. What was your risk tolerance and thought process behind debt? So it's, it's actually, I'll I'll separate it because to me, risk tolerance may, I I may have a a risk tolerance that's apart from debt in certain segments. So Hmm. personally, I don't like debt. So I I don't like, I think everybody should own or try to own their home without debt. And then you'll get to the point where your friend will come and say, but yeah, but you can, you know, it's terrible use of money. You should put a loan on it and then go use it over here and buy crypto or, you know, <laughs> Brian or, or, or whatever it is that they do. And, and I don't agree with that. I think you should, you know, pay your house off, keep it paid off. Um, I just think the quality of life that that gives you is, 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 is wonderful. Um, but at the same time, from a risk tolerance standpoint, from a business lens, I actually had a stated goal and this is strange, um, but to go bankrupt by 30. Huh? Like I, like I wanted to give myself permission. I didn't want to go bankrupt yeah. by 30, but I wanted to give myself permission that if I did, because I was striving and trying to do something different and, and new, that in my mind, <clears throat> if I did that by 30, I still have so much time to learn and grow that it wouldn't have been fatal if by 30. Better, better by 30 than 40. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to give myself permission um, to fail. Um, and I failed in reaching my goal. You failed in reaching your goal, which actually turned out to probably be a good thing. Correct. <laughs> That's why it's like, it's a weird hack is like I would make my goal failure and then I would fail in failing at it. I would fail it. I've never heard of something thought of that way. Yeah. That's so crazy. So wh- wh- why did you do like in your head a little analysis or a thought exercise of, okay, if I go bankrupt, I can come back from this by doing X, Y, or Z. Because I feel like most people hear bankrupt and they just think like, oh, it's game over, like Monopoly, you lost. Yep. No, I just thought the lessons, <clears throat> if that happened, then what I would have learned will, would be meaningful such that it would never happen again. So either it never happened, or if it did happen, it'll never happen again. And, and that's, I think that's a pretty bullish case. Yeah, I'm kind of mind blown right now. Yeah, so that's the way I looked at it was, I'm going to give myself permission because most people, um, anyway, I have a, a weird way of, of viewing um, kind of fear and excitement. But I, uh, I like that though. Yeah. I'd love to dive into that. How so, do you veer, view that? So in my, in my opinion, fear and excitement are the f- same physiological feeling. So it's labeled by the brain. Mm-hmm. And, and most people label um, the feeling that is most familiar. Mm-hmm. So when they're most excited, they often call it fear of, you know, fear of failure. Mm-hmm. So to hack it, I wanted to, I wanted to make my goal failure and then fail in ever achieving my goal. So then you would feel excitement, right? This is such a different perspective than I've ever heard. Yeah. It's strange. 
<laughs> it's it just it makes sense to me. Yeah, yeah, I, I like that. So let's jump back into starting Elevation Capital, which is the current company that you own and operate right now. Mm-hmm. Where did that come from, and what is the, the goal here? Yeah, so to, uh, kind of to bridge it, <clears throat> so we started buying mobile home parks. We bought one, we bought two, we bought five, I think we bought 10 or so. Um, and then we started realizing the opportunity to buy mobile home parks. Um, we, we just saw a big opportunity, especially around 2008 to 10, a lot of opportunity to buy good assets for cheap pricing. And again, we were capital constrained. We didn't have enough capital to take advantage of the opportunity we saw. And so we either had to decide to let it go. Um, and specifically, we had, uh, I think it was six mobile home parks. I think the price was like, the asking price was like 4.972 million, I think. That's pretty specific. I, know. I don't know why I remember that. <laughs> if that is right, I'm going to buy myself a cookie later. There you go. The, um, but I think it was 4.7, let's say, uh, million. And we didn't have the capital to buy all six, so we were having to decide to buy, you know, one or two or none or, you know. And so we came up with this this thought of um, a fund model. So we we formed, we ended up forming our first fund, which was a Reg D 506B as in boy offering uh, friends and family. And so we went out and we had never formed a fund, you know, never taken outside capital really. So it was a big, big deal. And so we were trying to raise $2 million mm-hmm. uh, in a year. We raised it in, I think, four or five months. And it was, you know, literally sitting at the dining room table, starting with A in your phone, saying, hey, you know, it's 2010, we're in the GFC, you know, sky's falling around you. Mm-hmm. You know, we're 20, 28 and 30 year olds uh, looking to go buy mobile home parks. And we thought of you, <laughs> you know, and uh, you should uh, be honored. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And unbelievably, the, uh, uh, we raised all two million dollars. We bought all six mobile home parks, and you know, then we started our fund two, um, which was a, I think it was a five million dollar raise. Then fund three, which was a ten million dollar raise. Then fund four, five, um, and the last the last three funds alone were almost, um, gosh, what was it? Almost uh, three hundred fifty million dollars. So a couple of things. One, with such a wide array of guests that I have, I want to break down a couple of things for people. The first one being the idea of a fund, which is basically, as you said, you didn't have enough money to go out and do these deals yourself. So you went to people, wealthy individuals, and you said, hey, if we pool your money together with my other friend's money, with my family's money, with my money, then in theory, we'll have enough money to get this deal done. Would that be an accurate description of a Mm -hmm. fund? Okay. So that's the first one. GFC, great financial crash. Uh Okay. Crisis. Yeah. Crisis. Okay. Um, so when you're going and you're doing a fund like that, like your your theory of intertwining fear and excitement of I'm going to fail by 30 and go bankrupt, that works well when it's your own yep. personal finances and your own livelihood that's on the line. Yep. And I say that works well. It's still I'm still wrapping my head around that one. Yep. But can I don't think you can apply that same theory when it's other people's money now. No, and I didn't. And that was I was already on the other side of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that when you take a dollar, it's a big deal, mm-hmm. a big, big deal. Yeah. So how did, did you feel the added pressure and stress of having other people's money? For sure. Yeah. It was, it was the most frightening thing I've ever done was, was raising our first fund. Yeah. It was, it was frightening and the, just the weightiness of it, like, and it should be, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a big, these are, you know, not that if you don't know the people and don't care about them, it matters less. That's not true. But I mean, these are people I, I knew and thought highly of right. and still do. Yeah. Especially if it's family, because then you're going home for Thanksgiving and yeah. it's, you're not just talking about your personal life. You're like, hey, where's my money I gave you? Yep. What's it's, going on with that? Yep. It's a big deal. 
what gave you the confidence to be willing to accept other people's money with enough, with enough of an instinct that you can return them something better than what they gave you? At that point, we had tested the model on our own money for many, many years. Mm -hmm. So at that point, you know, I had a lot of my money already at risk in our model. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I, I felt comfortable about the industry mobile home park specific specifically. Um, I liked the assets. I liked our capabilities and the team. And so they were, there were really no other than, you know, the, the potential of what could go wrong. There wasn't specifically anything that we were worried about. So we, we went forward with it and it, it turned out great. And when you say model, you mean the way that you had done things, your strategy for that investment over and over again, you felt like you'd proven that that mm -hmm. could work for other people too. Yeah. The general approach, mm -hmm. you know, you buy something for this amount, you know, this is the price, this is the amount of debt, you know, and then on the kind of the cash flow side, here's what your cash flows look like mm -hmm. and the, the operating expenses and the net cash and the distributions and all of that. Yeah. So you raised the first fund and then what was, what were the numbers? Was it three, five, 10? It's like 2 million, 5 million, 10 million, 15 million, I think 50 million, 122 million, 137 million. And then what was the time horizon like between each fund? Uh, so initially it was about a year uh, or so, year and a half on mm -hmm. average, and then it turned into about three years. Okay. We, we decided to, to, to move it to about three. I think something really tactile for our listeners, especially if they're younger, is they're thinking, how do I get access to this much money, right? Because whenever you're trying to start off, like you said, you don't have the, the leverage or the, the, the financials to go out and do a deal like this. You need to find people that do, that are willing to believe in you. What advice would you offer for someone for either networking or just like having a proven track record to go out and raise money for other folks. Yeah. So it, it, I guess the, for detail on your question, raise money for other folks or for yourself. Like what you were doing. Oh, for like, yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't think, interestingly enough, I don't think track record, track record matters less than I think the entrepreneur thinks it does. Mm -hmm. I think most entrepreneurs question their own, um, uh, viability they, they, you know, they're internal to themselves. So they see their own cracks, their warts. So they buy themselves less than they think other people will. Mm -hmm. So they undersell themselves. So, you know, I, I would say, you know, you need, you require a lot smaller of a track record than you think you do to raise capital. If, I mean, if you're an honest, honorable, hardworking, that'll scream and that'll raise capital, even if it's your first deal. Um, so I don't think you need this pressure of building this unbelievable resume before capital will form. Mm -hmm. But I think you, I think having a model um, and even a model that you've executed on before, I think that's pretty compelling, especially with your own capital. So let me give you a hypothetical here. Cause I think this is, this is good. This is something I didn't realize for a couple of, until a couple of years ago, you always hear entrepreneur. And for me in the longest time, I thought that was Elon Musk starting Tesla or Mark Zuckerberg starting Facebook, something that it goes viral and is, you know, maybe publicly traded, just something huge. You're an entrepreneur. You started Snapchat, Facebook, Instagram, whatever it may be. And then I've come to realize that you know, what you're doing is entrepreneurial. Mm -hmm. It is an entirely unconventional route and franchising is entrepreneurial. You don't have to have the idea for the unique thing that you're doing, like a social media platform, whatever that may be. You can rather find different ways of making money through investing in real estate or finding something that you like and franchising it, or there's all these different opportunities. So if you were graduating college tomorrow and you had just went through and you know you, you did fine, you got a 3.5 GPA, you scored well, you can read the books and you understand what you did in college, but you don't know what you're going to do next. What advice would you would you give to someone in that situation? 
I mean, to me, I think entrepreneurs start young generally. So there's some like, you know, but I, I would follow the area of curiosity you have. I mean, if, if you're not curious in any direction, then that's a, <laughs> that's a, that's a question without an answer for yeah, me. Yeah. I don't have an answer for that because I've never been that. But, um, but I would start pulling the, pulling the strings around the areas that you're curious on. Um, but, I mean, that's what I would, I would do. Do you go really deep into things or are you able to like shut it off? Like does, does the, the, what you're working on, does that come home and it's in the back of your mind running, 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 or have you found a way to shut it off and pause? And I'm not good at shutting it off. I mean, I'm an old programmer. And so, you know, we would, you know, back when I was coding, um, and extensively coding for, you know, 12, 14 hour clips, you know, you'd have this hole in your code, you'd compile the code, you'd get a fatal error mm-hmm. and you just running through the code in your head. You're like, where is it? Where is it? And you'd debug and it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be that helpful. You know, and then usually two, three, four in the morning, I'd wake up and I'd, I'd know exactly where it is. So even while I'm, you know, sleeping, I'm still, but usually when I'm waking up the next morning is when I had the greatest mm-hmm. um, likelihood of finding the issue just through thought. I think that's an interesting area because you often hear like you need to have balance in your life. And I think it's important to be able to take moments of disconnect and to be with the ones that you care about and to truly like just enjoy a moment. But I think the struggle with high performers is shutting that off and actually letting their brain go to have those moments of peace. I don't have an answer for it. And I'm curious about how you conceptualize that. I mean, for me, I, I probably read in it too much, but the the people who tell you they need balance, they're telling you that because it's of high importance to them, which <laughs> means they need the thing they're telling you about and they're projecting. Mm. So they're they're the ones who probably need balance. That's interesting. <laughs> you know, obviously it's important to them. They're they're telling you, mm-hmm. uh, and so I, I it's not to say balance is important, but I haven't found it. I don't know that I'll find it. I don't know. In to the extent that I do, you know, it, it'll be an eclipse you know, of the sun. It's just like this brief moment. Um, but it's, it's a, it's a fun and constant battle to, you know, you know, to how, how to be entrepreneur, how to be husband, how to be husband to my wife, who's also co-founder of our (laughs) business. That's crazy. Um, you know, we have four young kids, you know, we have, uh, you know, community that we're really big in and, and really involved in our community. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's busy mm-hmm. and that's, that's fine by me. I, I think that's, it's as it should be for this age. Mm-hmm. I think it keeps life interesting. It's, yeah. it's not bland. It's not boring. No. So what fund are you on now? So we just finished technically our ninth fund. Okay. And what was the size of that? That was a single asset. That was small. Oh, okay. We raised, uh, I think about 8 million. 8 million. Okay. So I'm curious, you know, over all these funds, it sounds like they're almost doubling or tripling with each one. How much do you think you've raised to date? Uh, you know, I think a, I think it was about 450 million, I would say something like that. That's just crazy to me. Yeah. And for what it's worth, our goal is not, I don't think we'll raise a whole lot more from here. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, you know, the goal has never been about more. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and in fact, what we did is we actually went from one year funds, we went to three years. And so there's things, you know, optically it may look like we're doubling or tripling, but we actually just tripled the time. Mm-hmm. So I, that was going to be my next question actually is where do you go from here? Like you, you've already, it seems like objectively had a level of success that most people could only dream about. So what, where do you go from here? What do you do? Yeah, it's a, well, it's the fun thing. It's the same. It's like tomorrow, what can I do better than today? Mm-hmm. That's the, the challenge. And, and gratefully, as I look through 24 and even 25, I have more to do, more opportunity to do things better in that time. I think the next two years we're going to be slammed, um, which, is, which is fun. So it's not about, yeah, I mean, my, our, 
when we were, Jamie and I, before we really got started, our, our goal was to acquire in our lifetime $50 million of real estate, you know? Um, and I mean, we've surpassed that, you know, you know well, anyway, it's, it's just laughable. Mm-hmm. So, so our, our goal was never about a number, um, both in making a number or keeping a number. Is you can make it, that's one thing, but then the question is, do you want to keep it? Should you keep it? Yeah. You know, so it's not about either of those things for us. So 10 years from now, you're, you're looking out 10 years from now. If things go not to plan, because I don't, I don't think they things won't. ever really go to plan, but if things go well for you, what does 10 years from now look like in your eyes? Yeah, I, I don't know. I'd like to, and, and I, I wouldn't want to know. Like, yeah. uh, that's, that wouldn't be fun. Like, I, I want to find it out. I want to, I'm curious too. So are you planning goals out like a year out, a month out? Like what, I'm just trying to get into your mentality here. Yeah. I'm not much of a goal setter, um, beyond like, so we have our business lines, we have budgetary goals, we have things like that. But in terms of like the top line of the business, where can it go? We really don't set specifics because it really comes down at the end of the day to opportunity. Mm-hmm. And if there's an opportunity that presents itself, then we'll grow in response to it. And if there's not, we won't. Yeah. And, and I don't know what the market will hand us as opportunity, yeah. um, but we're ready to chase it when it comes. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a good question. It's a hard one. Mm-hmm. Um, but over the last decade, you know, we've bought probably seven, I don't know, something around $700 million of assets in that decade. So, you know, if the next decade's the same, well, there you go. Mm-hmm. But also, if that's two two billion dollars, great. If it's one hundred million dollars, you're just here for the ride, right? Is that a failure? No, <laughs> no, I don't think so either. So I don't, I don't, I don't feel the need to. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's just it, it, there's a lot of ways it could go. I'm I'm excited to see. Yeah, I'm excited too. One thing I'm particularly curious about with your situation is like I mentioned, a lot of my listeners are younger. They're about my age, right? Mm -hmm. And you said that it was interesting to you. It was important for you to find a partner who could go, you could go into business with. And I'm curious as to why that is. And then also, it seems like you have a good fit in your wife. I don't know Mm -hmm. you guys outside of this, but just from reading and the way that you've talked about it, it seems like you guys have been a good fit for each other. What advice would you offer to someone that's younger, that's looking for someone to build with? You know, I, it was really sophomore for me. Um, And I, Going back, I would have done the same thing. Um, I didn't fully recognize all the challenges of working with your spouse, and <laughs> and, and I'm and then that's not uh, critical of her. It's just there to your point of balance. There is none because mm-hmm. you know we're at lunch. We're talking about you know uh, business at dinner. We're talking about business. Um, so finding that separation is is a little bit more challenging. Um, and then it's also on the same note. Like when you're you don't have the benefit of being high when she's low or low when she's high. You're usually both high or both low at the mm-hmm. same time. Um, and so that's, that's a negative, but at the same time, the way I looked at it, I'm like, if I have this other person I, I care deeply about and love, then, you know, how much time a day would you want to not see that person? Mm. And, and then if you also thought they were incredibly bright and talented and sophisticated and all these things, why would you want that talent outside of your business? <laughs> you know? Right. And so I just, I, I just, you know, I wanted to build something with Jamie and, and she is, uh, she's incredible in, in every way that I'm not. Um, she, she's, she's phenomenal. So it's been, it's been great. I, we wouldn't be here without her. Um, you know, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't have been able to do any of this without her. She's been great. That's really cool. Yeah. How did you find that? Oh man, that's, uh, it's, it's God's good grace. I mean, that he, he made such a person like Jamie, uh, in the first place that he was that creative and inventive. 
Um, and then he had our paths crossed. But no, I, I met her when I was um, 10. She was eight. Oh, my gosh. Way yep. back. Yep. Little League Baseball. She was one of three girls that played with the boys. And <laughs> she's a, a great baseball player. What are the odds of that? Yeah, it's crazy. And then we connected. We lost. So I knew her from baseball. And then many years later, she was my waitress at the Cheesecake Factory. She was, <laughs> she was working through college and paying her way. And she was my waitress. And it was, it was off to the races. Oh, my gosh. When you saw her at the Cheesecake Factory, did you think, like, all right, I need to ask her out? So it's funny. I was more direct. Um, so I, <laughs> uh, the, the short for, for your listeners' time, but I, 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 was, at, um, I was coming from a, a, a business meeting. I was by myself. I saw her. We reconnected. I remembered who she was, and I, I, I called my mom. I said, hey, I just met my future wife. Oh, wow. Um, and I was dead serious. Yeah. Like, and so the whole time I'm like, I now have to grow game because I had no game. <laughs> and now I've got to somehow figure out how to ask for a number. And, right. You know, this whole thing. I'm like, crap. Uh, so she had this other, she had me, she was uh, taken care of. She had another table of like, I think 16. And so she, the other table was monopolizing her time by volume. And so I was like, crap. So I just kept ordering I, every time she'd bring an iced tea, I would literally down it. I would, I ordered, so I had 16 iced teas. Oh I, I had a salad, a soup, an entree, a dessert. So finally the other team, the table left yeah. and I got her to myself. Um, and I invited her out uh, to actually to a church function, um, took her to her, um, you know, took her to church, took her to uh, dinner afterwards. And after, uh, after dinner, um, I called her up and I just said, you know, and she, she would tell you this, but I, I said, I, you know, I'm interested to know what your intentions are. I have no, I have no interest in being your friend. Um, you know, <laughs> I see something here. If you want to pursue it, then let me know. But I'm, I'm not. This is, you know, this sounds like a, a business meeting. I'm not. A, I'm not interested in being a, you know, your, 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 yeah. your good friend. You know, I'm interested in more. And she said she was interested in more. And so we were talking about marriage. I think two weeks in. If 16 sweet teas is not the definition of buying time, <laughs> I don't know what is. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I paid for it. Yeah. Were you sitting at the table by yourself? By myself. Oh yeah. my gosh! And you ordered all of that. Yeah, I was just down in it, like just you know, she was the, the, the whole time. She'd she'd tell you the story from her point of view, but she she was just like, man, I'm doing such a bad job. <laughs> you know, it's just constant. You know, so anyway, that's kept, hilarious. Kept getting her back over. Do you do you think you're an inherently confident person, or it's kind of bold to to call the shot of is that intuition of that's my future wife, and you know, being direct of. I have no interest in being your friend. Like all of that to me is like, whoa, that takes, that takes a bit of confidence. There. It's, it's not, it wasn't confidence and it wasn't like, that wasn't me. Like, that's not how I walk around and live my life. But at the same time, like in, in part of it's, it's all to Jamie, not to me. Like the way I felt that, you know, is, you know, I, I had this, you know, we all have our list of things we want in a, a spouse, mm -hmm. I think. And so I had this, this list in my head of things I wanted and so I met Jamie and in the five minutes of talking with her, I'm like, she took my list of five and like tripled it. <laughs> I'm like, what kind of idiot would I be if I was hoping for five and I have 15, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not going to go try to wait. Well, maybe there's a 25 out there. It's like, no, I'm just three X what I thought was even a dream. Yeah. I'm, I'm all in. And so I, I just put all my cards on the table. Yeah. Um, and I, I guess, you know, so that's more that that's a lot more about who Jamie is than who I am. But yeah. to me that the way I viewed her was, this is the greatest thing ever invented. Like I'm, I'm going, <laughs> I'm an idiot if I don't give everything I've got to, to pursue her. You're a businessman. It was a great ROI for you. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, yeah, not even if, yeah. I mean, may, maybe it was, but I was just like, she was, 
she she was and is just unbelievable. That's awesome. Yeah. So a couple questions as we start to wrap up here. The first one being, outside of you said you love to work. Outside of work, what are maybe some of your hobbies? What are some things you enjoy doing? So I so I love um, my kids. Um, obviously, spending time with my my wife. Um, but the the kids are a lot of fun. So I um, you know sports mm-hmm. coach those things. Uh, but then we do a lot of maker stuff. So we do a lot of, I want to, I want my kids to cons- to create, not consume. Mm-hmm. So we, we do a lot of 3d printing. That's cool. Um, tons of 3d printing, designing all kinds of stuff. So uh, I like those kind of things, gardening, um, like, you know, anyway, working outside. That's super cool. 3d printing is awesome. Uh, I went to college of Wichita state and they have one of like the premier state of the art, um, 3D printing labs, they, they call them maker labs out there just because mm-hmm. of all of the aerospace manufacturing they do. Yep. The stuff you can do with a 3D printer is absolutely mind-boggling. It's unbelievable. You walk around my house and almost everything that's broken and now fixed, we, we have our calipers and we measure it and we design a new model and we print it. And it's just, it's super fun. That's awesome. Yeah. So another one of my questions here is you are obviously a, v- a very intelligent person. I'm curious about how you learn. Are you someone who likes to watch YouTube videos, do you listen to podcasts, do you read books, or is it just by associating with people that are also smart and you pick it up from them? Or how do you kind of think about that? Well, that's a good question. Um, I, I'm more tactile and I'm, I'm, I'm a good learner by just um, being curious and kind of self-teaching, kind of like how I learned to code, mm-hmm. you know, that, that process where it was, you know, I, I saw, um, it was my first computer, I saw a web page and I was fascinated so I figured out you could right-click, save as, mm-hmm. and save the source file, the HTML on the desktop. Then you can open that file in the browser and render that in the local browser, and then also open the text file for the code and actually modify the source code and refresh the web page, and it shows you. In real time. Right, and that's how I learned to code. Yeah. Because I would just, that's, that's how I taught myself, is I learned HTML initially just by modifying a, a file on the desktop and refreshing it in the browser. That is be one of the most fun things. My buddies and I would always take like websites that are pretty professional and we'd joke around and we'd open up the the text and we would change like the name of the president to the buddy's name or change the picture to the, his high school picture or whatever it was. It's funny. It's the best time. <laughs> That's super cool. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was fun. And and back in those days there were, you know, and I'm I'm talking it was I mean around 199 or I'm sorry, 1988, 1989 like frames were just the new invention, which frames aren't, you know, now it's iframe, but yeah. frames weren't even, aren't even used anymore, but, uh, but it was fun. Yeah. It was a fun time. That's awesome. Yeah. Ryan, where can people find you online if they want to connect or learn more about Elevation Capital? So yeah, elevationcapitalgroup.com or my email is ryan at elevationcg.com and email me anytime. Great. You can find the podcast at Real Period Conversations. I'm at Jacob O'Connor. If you guys enjoyed the episode, please share it with a friend. It helps us grow. Ryan, my final question for you. Looking back at this really cool journey you've been on, what advice would you give to your 22-year-old self? Hmm. I'd say, you know, I'd say trust yourself. Mm -hmm. Like believe in yourself and not, you know, like really believe in yourself. Because if you do, um, you know, it'll, it'll, it'll give you the ability to take uncanny, unconventional steps forward. Um, Because at the end of the day, if you don't believe in you, who else should? Mm Mm-hmm. Do you think that that believing in yourself, do you feel like you played small in ways whenever you were younger that you didn't believe in yourself enough? Yeah, there's a lot of, there, there were a lot of things. Um, there were a lot of times where I didn't believe myself. And then there were critical times when I found 
I kind of found hacks or found ways to get myself to, to say yes mm-hmm. to things that everything in me wanted to scream no, you know, yeah. and, and just, and I was grateful on the other side of saying yes. Um, there was a lot of sleepless nights leading up to it. Like, I, I, like one specific, I was 23 and I was asked to give a, uh, a two hour talk about using my software program to 2000 people. Oh my gosh. In Las Vegas. And I was deathly afraid of public speech speaking. Yeah. Um, and so I had to give a two hour talk in front of 2000 people. And it was, there were 15 professional speakers. I was the only one who was not professional. Um, and so I was like, (laughs) you know, they asked, will you do it? And I was like, yes, you know, I, I knew I should say yes. I knew it'd be good for me and grow me, but I didn't want to. Mm -hmm. And I, and I did. And I was the third highest rated speaker of the conference. Really? Mm -hmm. So they did a poll on Americans and it was like, what are you most afraid of? And people ranked public speaking ahead of death. Yep. Yeah. That's I, absurd. It, was, it was awful. I mean, the, the, the two months leading up were awful. And you, you were number, so did, have you done any public speaking since then? Are you still I, afraid of it? I, no, I've, I've done more than my, my whole, the 10 year. So that set off a whole nother trajectory because it turned out I'm actually really good at it <laughs> and I had no idea. And so I ended up giving, more than 200 talks wow. between age 20 and 30 uh, to as many as 20,000 people um, over those, that decade. Um, those reps are invaluable. Yeah. Yeah, it was great. I learned, and then I learned a ton through speaking. Um, it was always fun. I always felt like I learned more from the audience than the audience learned from me. Like it was, it was super fun. That's super cool. Yeah. Thanks for coming on, Ryan. Yeah, thanks for having me.